0: hello and welcome to the finale of season three of sequelizers this as always is the show about fixing the bad sequels that followed good movies if there was a good movie that was followed by a terrible sequel you better believe the five of us specifically the other four i just kind of sit here are going to do their very best to try and fix it with their pitches. Speaking of the other four members, this week I am joined by the team known as Part Time! Part Time! (laughs) Mr Alec Plowman, Yo! And Stuart Ashen.
1: Port
2: time.
1: <laughs> I like this. It's a completely different pronunciation every single time. That sounds to me like a very drunk person on a boat in a sort of old 30s sketch saying port time. Port time! <laughs> I imagine Swedish chef from
0: Muppets. <laughs> port time! Speaking of Swedish chefs. <laughs> the other team, known as Jonesy, Matthew Stogden, hey. and Tim Mayton jonesy (laughs) (laughs) i feel i should say jonesy now (laughs) bollocks echoing the team names back at me this yeah sometimes we get all hellos sometimes we get quotes you guys are just reduced to shouting the team names back at me this (laughs) week
3: we're just we're 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 steven spielberg pokemon yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) we are our own cheerleaders (laughs) (laughs) spielemon Gotta get s- all the Oscars, be It's <laughs>
4: squeal <them> on.
1: <laughs> squeal <them on>. oh, <laughs> Which no. is the it, weird Deliverance version. version. <laughs> <laughs> Elo Roth version, yes. Deliverance version.
0: Oh, good lord. Well, if you hadn't already guessed by the... <laughs> poly- <laughs> you would have guessed for any of shit? Oh, <laughs> well, you mentioned Steven Spielberg. We said Jonesy. We and said Hard time fucking people in the woods. Like pink. people in the woods, yeah. Deliverance, squealing, all that good stuff. It's all relevant to us fixing... Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, okay. You, but now you've explained it, I get it. Yeah, yeah. it totally makes sense. Yeah. I assume you've all got squealing pigs and kids with learning difficulties playing banjos and stuff, right?
5: sounds about right we've got- <laughs> the two seconds of silence got-
3: smoke volume we've been hacked <laughs> he's seen our he's seen our files god damn it oh dear we've
5: got uh we've got a psyduck uh finding himself in a spot of bother with some hillbillies so that sounds about right
1: Ooh, ours is close ours is a meowth oh. uh, nursing a baby Stalin. you got you got a meowth on you son Tell you that uh, of of
0: mouth. Oh dear! And uh, let's refresh the listeners' minds, shall we? Since it's been a week since they've heard your elevator bitches, cast, crews, titles, release years, and all that good stuff. And part time, I'm going to come to you guys first. Remind the dear listeners, please. Says
5: our film released in Earth year 1998 is indiana jones and the
1: spear of destiny <laughs>
5: is
1: it tenacious is d it, is it too late to change teams <laughs> i love the idea that what i'm picturing is some roman centurion long China saying the spear of destiny and then shredding some air guitar riffs on it <laughs> jack black and the rest of as tenacious he skews as he yeah. pierces the side of christ well that
5: was that was my pitch but i was i was summarily told told no okay and in the role of jesus James James <laughs> Every everybody gets one and apparently my one was hawk aliens so this is why uh, this is why this did not happen but our uh, our director is earth human steven spielberg of course because indiana jones isn't it makes sense yeah so returning cast and all the
4: other cast i'm just going to say them together anarchy in the uk Whoa. Ooh. Ooh. returning as indiana jones is harrison ford of course and returning as Wan Lee, also known as Shorty, is Jonathan K. Kwan. New character time. Albina Joloznik will be played by Mia Jovovich. General Drugov will be played by Andrew Divov. Professor Anna Robinson is the mighty Jane Seymour. Marta Krupin, a very young Mila Kunis. Chasovoy will be played by... Oh, God, I've got to pronounce this surname now. Igor Zhizhikin? Zhizakina? Igor's going to play Good old Igor In my
0: notes it just says Igor, I'm not going to (laughs) lie I do not blame you
4: I'm seeing it written here and it looks like something I can't say As I just proved And Agent Culling will be played by John C. McGinley And score, of course, by John Williams
5: Elevator pitch In 1952, archaeology professor Dr Henry Jones Jr., teams up with an old friend to investigate the supernatural legacy of the Nazis now being utilised by the USSR.
1: Dum-dum-dum.
0: So, now we've had the little tease, why don't we delve deeper into the Spear of Destiny? Certainly. Can
1: you dive into a spear?
0: Yes.
5: Physics says yes, logic says no.
0: (laughs) And I'm a physicist, (laughs) dammit! Anyway,
5: I'll shut up and we'll share with you this movie delight. Ah, Please begin if you so desire. I shall. It is 1952. On board a small plane over Hong Kong, a man in a leather jacket and fedora sneaks up to a sleeping Chinese soldier and steals a small flight case. He opens it to see a huge diamond, the peacock's eye. Suddenly, the soldier bolts awake and the man in the jacket punches him unconscious. But the noise has brought the attention of other soldiers, who he fends off with the case, fighting his way to the hatch. The man looks up from under his hat and we see his face for the first time. It is Wan Li, a.k.a. Short Round, now nearly 30 years old. He smiles, opens the hatch, and leaps out, the decompression forcing the soldiers to hold on. He removes his jacket as he falls, revealing a hidden parachute that he activates.
4: We see that Wan Lee is telling this tale to a room of young students, the class of Dr Henry Jones Jr., a.k.a. Indiana Jones, who is listening behind him. Indy rolls his eyes and, as the bell rings, reminds the leaving class to stick to the facts in their essays and those facts include that he lent Wan Lee, or Shorty as he calls him, that hat and jacket, and he lost them both. Shorty apologises for losing Indy's spare wardrobe as the students leave. Indy thanks him for giving the talk and says how he looks forward to half the class turning in papers about how amazing he is. Shorty jokingly says that you can't deny facts in archaeology, when they are suddenly interrupted by Indy's secretary Irene, who says that an agent culling has arrived and is waiting for them. Shorty comments that he's very early, and Indy says that he's done it on purpose to put them off. Not a good sign.
5: In Indy's office, the obsequious Agent Culling announces himself as a senior government representative. He begins by praising the pair to the high heavens, until Indy cuts him off, telling him to get to the point. Culling says that America needs the help of the greatest archaeologists again, as there is a bizarre and fascinating potential new threat to liberty. Indy cuts him off, saying he's retired from field work. but Shorty says they should hear Culling out. The agent says that the Soviet government is making its own science fiction movie, provisionally entitled Athena, to cash in on the current craze, probably as anti-West propaganda. They've built a flying saucer set in a valley in, Ju- in the Judean hills near the Dead Sea, and are starting principal photography immediately. Shorty says that seems a weird place to film, to which Culling immediately agrees, because it's just a front for an archaeological dig. Using notes left by the Nazis after World War II, they found the entrance to somewhere very old, containing something Hitler himself was looking for.
4: Shorty interrupts him by saying derisively, The Lance of Longerness? Really? Agent Culling says that's it exactly, the spear that pierced the side of Christ when he was dying on the cross. An incredible holy relic. Indy snorts and asks if it's as good as the ones on display in Armenia, Vienna and Rome. It's nonsense, there's no such thing. Culling says he begs to differ, saying it's a weapon of immense power, and offers up a blurry photograph of Russian soldiers holding a long, oddly-shaped stick. Supremely unimpressed, Indy says that the whole thing is ludicrous. Even if the lance did exist, it would just be a spear, not a weapon of immense power. It's a holy relic, not a sci-fi ray gun from their pretend movie. Culling shows another photo, showing a beam of light emanating from the spear and making a huge explosion when it hits some rocks. He says that they've got copies of some of the same notes the Soviets do, and their spy nearby has seen the excavation, so it all adds up. Shorty asks if it could possibly be an experimental weapon of some kind. Culling replies that they don't know for sure, which is why they need Indy and Shorty, the only people with the requisite knowledge and skills, to go and
5: investigate, and to take whatever the item is. Indy turns him down flat, saying it's not archaeology it's a job for the NSA. Shorty agrees. Culling responds that this isn't a request, and that failing to help the government would be a very un-American act. Indy bridles at this threat and loses his temper, telling him he can drag his name through the mud all he wants. Culling asks Wan Lee, or So Wah Moo, or whatever his real name is, would fare well if indicted. Or how some of the other teachers here would do, or some of your friends in the museum sector. Furious, Indy and Wan reluctantly agree. They are met at Lod Airport by Professor Anna Robinson, a first-rate Jerusalem-based archaeologist, who is also a second-rate spy. It was her that took the photos of what Culling believes to be the spear. They go back to her lodgings, and she reveals that she is in way over her head and is very pleased that Indian Shorty can take over. She reveals that there is an open casting session for the supposed Athena movie tomorrow, and that they're looking for a diverse range of people. It should be easy for Indian Shorty to get access to the compound this way. The next day they attend an open
4: casting at a large hotel. Present is the director, a young auteur called Albina, who is extremely excited at the prospect of making such a movie and speaks good English. She explains to the assembled crowd of would-be actors that the film will use the backdrop of sci-fi to promote themes of universal love and understanding in these troubled times. She introduces the star actor, a girl named Marta Krupin, and explains that they made several popular melodramas back in the Ukraine, where Marta is a beloved actress. Albina is clearly very protective of her, but not as protective as Chasavoy. A very serious Soviet soldier seems to act as her bodyguard, despite her obvious fear of him. As predicted, Albina is delighted to see American and Chinese faces, and signs up Indian Shorty on the spot. They climb into a packed Russian army truck for travel to the
5: site in the Judean hills. However, halfway to their destination, the truck stops next to some other Soviet soldiers, waiting by the roadside with motorcycles and a car. A high-ranking officer, General Drugov, demands to inspect the passengers before they are brought to the film set. He spots Indian Shorty, who stick out like a sore thumb, and takes them off the truck, demanding to see their papers. He carefully inspects them, then tells his soldiers to raise their rifles, and motions for the truck to continue on without them. Indy and Shorty are bundled into the car and taken back to Jerusalem, where they have a small camp. Drugov has the pair sat down for interrogation. He throws
4: Indy's bullwhip onto the table between them and asks why an archaeologist would have such a thing. Indy replies, for this, and grabs it, whipping the rifle away from a soldier. Shorty throws a chair at another guard and a huge Karatean whip fight ensues, which ends up with Shorty sabotaging the motorbike's car and radio. Indy steals a pistol then they both escape on the one remaining motorbike with Shorty in control in an attempt to catch up with the truck Sadly and much to Indy's chagrin Shorty seems to have missed one of the bikes as one roars after them and quickly catches them up with only a single passenger It is Drugov riding An epic chase occurs as they trade shots with each other and the Soviet attempts to kick them over Eventually Indy manages to get a shot into the wheel of the bike ripping it apart and throwing Drugov a considerable
5: distance Relieved Indy attempts to read a map as Shorty rides on. They manage to get ahead of the truck and hide the bike as darkness falls. They sneak back onto the truck as it stops at the gate of the film set. The local actors could not care less and one simply says, Welcome back. Inside, Indy is surprised that it seems like an actual film set, with proper cameras and crew. The UFO set is hokey, The actual structure is solid but looks over-designed with weird fins and the insides are a terrible mess of big square boxes covered in flashing lights. He chats with the effusive albina to distract her while Shorty tries to spot the excavation. He says he's surprised that a film sponsored by the USSR seems to be art rather than propaganda. She says she was surprised herself but is ecstatic that she has received funding for her vision. She explains that the whole story will be told through Marta as a single actress to help the audience bond with her and help impart the character's sense of wonder. Everything is about people. Indy says that sounds like a way to keep costs down. Deflated, Albina replies, that also.
4: Shorty emerges from behind the set and signals to Indy who excuses himself and joins him. Shorty explains that there is absolutely a tunnel behind where the UFO rests against a rock wall There are carts and digging equipment the other side of the entrance And further down were two armed guards that stopped him looking in further They're definitely digging for something Suddenly, Albina calls all the extras together for a rallying speech Before they head off to bed at an early start the next day But shortly into the speech, Chasavoy spots Indy and shouts You, American! Confused, Indy does a, who me? Chasavoy shouts, we fight! He waves to the crew and shouts, You film! in Russian. Albina is furious and berates him. He's done this before with his own soldiers. Marta is terrified. The crew reluctantly train lights onto the rapidly clearing crowd and Chasavoy strides over to Indy and attempts a punch. Indy dodges but is hit by a second punch. The Soviet is highly skilled and whilst Indy puts up a good fight, he suffers a heavy beating. You fight good, the pleased Chasavoy says to the bruised archaeologist as he flexes his muscles for the camera then walks over to the crew to ensure that the brutality was captured on film. Scared, the other extras help Indy up and then go to their tent. Shorty, however, checks Indy is okay, then sneaks off to report to Anna, who has a boat in the Dead Sea. So basically, it- this is Zangief. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah,
5: it's only because I couldn't spell spinning atomic pile driver. Even- in the night, Indy is woken by Marta, who has sneaked out to check he's okay. Touched, he thanks her and compliments her on her English. She says her English is important, as Albina plans to film each scene twice, once in Russian and once in English. That way, the message of peace can be spread throughout the whole world. Everything is about people. But she also says that Indy should leave now and try to take Albina with him. The soldiers led by Drogov don't care about the film at all, just their weird spear that makes things explode. She is worried about her friends as the soldiers say something dangerous is coming back tomorrow. She then escapes into the night before Indy can ask any further questions. In the boat in the Dead Sea, Shorty tells Anna it's getting too dangerous to hang around in case she's spotted. She refuses to abandon them though. She says nobody should be out here with no backup. Shorty thanks her and turns to sneak back towards the camp, at which point she pistol whips him into the head and he collapses.
4: In the morning, Indy is rudely awoken by a smack round the head himself. It is Drugov, even more bruised than Indy, surrounded by several armed soldiers. He drags Indy out of the tent and shouts to Chasavoy that he's got another fight for him to film. We see that Shorty has been tied up and thrown on the floor, whilst the crew point their cameras at him. Anna is watching. She mouths sorry to Indy and shrugs, but he is less than impressed. Chasovoy takes off his shirt and grins as he strides towards him. Albina has had enough of this film-wasting brutality and runs to stop him, but he viciously pushes her aside. Drugov tells her that if she ever gets in the way of the military again, then they won't make her stupid film at all. Shorty is untied and stands to face Chasovoy as the soldiers and now extremely uneasy extras stand back. Chasovoy and Shorty square up to each other as the film rolls. And in an exciting eight seconds, Shorty beats the living shit out of the Soviet who, while strong, is nowhere near fast enough to stand up to him. <laughs>
5: The crowd of extras, pushed too far, seize this opportunity and go wild. They rush the soldiers, grabbing their guns and cause general pandemonium. The guards from the excavation tunnel turn out, and Indy, Shorty, Albina and Marta run in. It only takes a few moments for Indy and Shorty to realise that this isn't an excavation at all – it's just a hastily dug tunnel. This confounds Albina, who explains her full situation. She knew about the excavation all along and agreed to help with the deception as the USSR agreed to actually make her movie for real as cover. There's just no way she would get something like this financed back in the Ukraine. But if there's no excavation, what is being hidden? After a moment of silence, Marta asks who made the UFO, and it was already After a moment of silence, Marta asks who made the UFO as it was already here when they arrived. The art department just filled up the insides and bolted some fins on. There is another moment of silence, while the penny drops for everyone.
4: There is suddenly a loud explosion from outside, and Drugov calls for everyone to come out of the tunnel. Realising he is wielding the spear, everyone does what he says with their hands up. The extras have taken over the set, but Drugov and Anna have them terrified by what, up close, is clearly a weird high-tech weapon of alien origin. This is the only thing that survived the crash, he says. Everything else was burnt so badly it wasn't worth saving. Well, we kept the pilots, just in case. Not much left of them. He motions towards a coffin-like refrigeration unit plugged into a mobile generator. But this... There is a click, and he turns his head to see Anna pointing a revolver at his head. I'm sorry, General, but the Americans will give a lot of money for that thing. I sent them some lovely snaps of it, you know. Albina covers Marta's eyes. Drugov responds, I never did trust you. That's why I gave you a gun full of dud bullets. Anna looks unconvinced and pulls the trigger. Nothing happens. Drugov turns and fires the alien spear at her. There is a bright
5: green explosion, and she is gone. Stalling for time, Indy asks what Drugov's plan is. Why didn't they just take the spear back to Russia? Why all the subterfuge and covering up if they don't need to be here? Drugov responds that they very much do need to be here. There is more than just a spear at stake, and as if on cue, there is a strange noise from the sky. Drugov is surprised. What? I thought they only came at night, he says, as the sky oddly darkens and a shimmering light appears in the sky. It comes closer and is the shape of the crashed UFO. The extras and soldiers flee, but Drugov gulps and runs out to the craft. He offers the weapon to it. I saved it for you. The USSR is your friend. Teach us. Trade with us, he calls desperately. Nothing happens for a moment. But then the spear glows blue in his hands. It then violently implodes into nothing, taking Drugov with it. So they don't want their spear back, says Short Round. So what did they want? Arbina says that she thinks she knows and runs over to the refrigeration unit, pulling it closer to the UFO and releases the lock, opening the lid. We do not see inside. After a few tense moments, there is a green glow in the refrigeration
4: unit which moves upwards into the UFO and disperses. The unit is now empty. The shimmering craft speeds away and light returns to normal. They just wanted their dead back, says Albina. Everything is about people. Wonder why they came here in the first place, Shorty wonders out loud. Maybe they're archaeologists, suggests Indy. Nobody is amused. A truce has fallen between extras, soldiers and crew after witnessing such bizarre events. They agree to leave and go back to Jerusalem, but the crew insists on destroying the footage they took of Chassevoy. They pile up the equipment and pour fuel on it, setting light to it, and everyone leaves in the truck. As they pull away, we see a dazed Chassevoy get up and wander to the fire. He looks into it and realises they piled up the dynamite stock, and the fire is about to reach it, and he is right next to it. Thinking on his feet, he dives into the refrigeration unit and pulls down (laughs) the lid which locks.
2: Jesus!
4: (laughs) There is a large explosion, and the refrigeration unit flies for half a mile through the air before landing, heavily but intact on its side. The door lock breaks and the lid swings open, and Chasavoy's broken corpse falls out. <laughs> uh,
0: well played, sirs, well played. Yeah, I was who could do that.
5: Back in Jerusalem, the group say their goodbyes. Albina and Marta plan to produce a film about their experiences, and the locals have agreed to help for free, as they're very keen to get their story told. The crew, however, are deeply regretting their decision to blow up all their equipment. Indian shorty get back to the airport to fly back to America, Shorty tentatively says that while they're in the area, they could check out the lead Sala says he has on the staff of Kings, the artefact that Moses used to part the Red Sea. Indy glares at him and Shorty goes to leave, but Indy doesn't walk towards the plane. He slowly smiles as the Indiana Jones theme plays, and we cut to black. In a mid-credits sequence, we see Agent Culling in a hearing for Un-American Activities, Trying to explain how his most trusted spy is mentioned in some found documents as receiving payments from the USSR. Then Chad Kroger leaps into deceive. <laughs> the
0: <laughs> and they say that Indy save. Us. Good lord. Thank you for your pitch, gentlemen. But now it's, right. it's time for your opponents, also known as Do it. Jonesy! Jonesy! Yeah. Jonesy! Jonesy! Jonesy? Yes! <laughs> that was the an Jonesy attempt wave. to do John Hurt, but it did not work. <laughs> <laughs> so, why don't you remind the listeners of your cast, crew, title, release year, all that good stuff, please, Says?
3: Uh, so, our film is called Indiana Jones and the Hunt for El Dorado, uh, and it comes out in the Earth year 1995, with Steven Spielberg, of course, directing. Our returning cast, Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. Uh, Jonathan Rhys-Davies as Salah, and Sean Connery as Henry Jones Sr. Our new cast, jean Renault as
1: Lieutenant Thibaut Mercier, Jürgen Procknow as Sturmbannführer Kuhn, Kasper Van Dien as Untersturmfuhr Ilya Keller, Gwyneth Paltrow as Renata Ziegler, and Ben Mendelsohn as Peter King. The composer is John Williams. Our elevator pitch... Is At the close of the Second World War, Indiana Jones uncovers this Nazi plot to unearth as many occult items as possible to potentially resurrect their fallen leader and restore their forces to power and glory, taking Indy from Turkey and Germany to the United States and Mexico.
0: Dum-dum-dum...
1: Yes.
3: I will now defer to Tim. The Paramount logo cross-dissolves to match the outline of a mosque's central dome. Turkey, 1942. The doors of a cafe swing open. Several men secretively whisper among themselves as an elderly man tries to enter but is turned away politely by a burly gentleman. As soon as the door closes, the room bursts into life. Several maps are revealed as the cafe is transformed into a hidden military unit. In a deep, familiar voice, one of the men says, Turkey can't remain neutral forever, but we can't take any chances, Indy. Rising from his chair... A rugged man replaces a headdress with his signature hat and responds, This will be worth it, Salah, and it's Captain Jones.
1: We cut to jeeps racing through the markets before screeching to a halt. A Nazi officer in full uniform, Stumbanführer Kern, strides confidently to a stall and grabs a vendor, bellowing that he was sold a fake. The vendor protests, saying that the real item was sold just a week ago and he has a receipt. Kern tosses aside the vendor's ledger, then tells him he is returning his shoddy Arabic replica, stabbing him in the neck with a jade knife. He signals to his troops, who begin to ransack the market. Back at the jeeps, Salah pretends to try and buy the vehicles before pulling a gun on the driver. Catching sight of the commotion outside, Kern begins shooting erratically. Jones and several American soldiers launch into action, and a firefight ensues. Kern catches a bullet in the thigh and hobbles to one of the jeeps, mercilessly taking out one, anyone in his path. As the jeep and the retreating officers drive away, Salah and Indiana examine the dead vendor and discuss what Cohn was after, a Mesoamerican ceremonial knife.
3: We are treated to a title sequence detailing a map of Europe, highlighting the events of World War II. 1945, Fussen, Deep in the Bavarian forests, we see the outside of a large estate. Despite the death of Hitler and official surrender, several Nazi officials are loading crates into vans while a large pyre is burning in the background. One trooper marches out of the house and hurls a framed oil painting onto the blaze. Watching through binoculars, we are reintroduced to Indiana Jones in full military gear. With him is French Lieutenant Thibaut Mercier. The two discuss their plan, and more specifically, how they are currently way off mission, and the war is pretty much over. But Indy maintains artwork being destroyed is a crime. Mercier sighs before giving the signal. Several camouflaged French troops step out of the woods and quietly begin taking out the Nazi forces. Indy spots several items being loaded into a van, as directed by a blonde female officer, and whispers to Mercier, If those leave here, we'll never see them again. They'll be sold or destroyed or God knows what. Jones leaps into action, bursting forth from the tree line and running toward the mansion. Mercier curses in French before giving chase. Indy's charge blows the surprise, and an all-out battle takes place
1: with Nazis arming themselves to fend off the attacking force. Indy fights his way toward the van convoy, stopping in to save several items from being damaged, but is too slow to stop it departing. He and Mercier mount horses and give chase, eventually getting aboard the rear truck and gate taking command, although the lead vehicle gets away. With the Nazi contingent dead or defeated, Indy looks over the treasure trove of paintings, sculptures and statues. One of the soldiers hands a journal to Mercier, who shows it to Indy. It's a catalogue belonging to a Nazi scientist, Renata Ziegler, listing everything present. Flipping through it, Indy frowns as he notes that several items would be impossible to obtain, even some from myth, along with a series of names. Items such as the Spear of Longinus. Oh! (laughs) The Armour of Achilles, Mjolnir, and Thuan One particular artifact grabs Jones' attention, along with the name Peter King. Mercier makes an offhand remark that with the power these items could obtain, they can help rebuild Europe, to which Jones responds that power isn't all it's cracked up to be, and as long as they end up in a
3: museum, he'll be happy. In typical Indiana Jones montage fashion, we're shown the war officially ending, and Indy boarding a plane back to the United States. Sat at his desk, drawing up lesson plans for the new term, Dr Jones is surprised to see his father knocking on the door. The two awkwardly exchange a greeting, seemingly the first they've had since Indy came back from active duty, before an assistant enters to let Indy know he has a visitor. Mercier then steps into the room, embracing his friend. Mercier and Jones Sr. share a few brief words in French, which aggravates Indy. Mercier explains that he has arrived because the French government have been looking into the names from the journal, and several scientists and archaeologists have gone missing. Remembering Indy's reaction to Peter King, he felt he should come as soon as possible.
1: Jones Sr. chastises his son for not following up on this and seeing if Peter was alright. This becomes a full-blown shouting match as Indiana talks about his service abroad and only just coming back from a war. Jones Sr. accuses his son of cowardice, highlighting that he's setting up lesson plans and that Jones Jr. is too afraid to talk to the man who lost his father because of Indiana. The room falls silent. Jones Sr. realises he's gone too far but doesn't actually apologise. Because he's fucking Sean Connery. (laughs) (laughs) Indy asks Mercier to give them a minute, and the Frenchman steps outside. Jones just take a moment before speaking frankly. Jones Sr. explains he believes he should have taken the place of the Grail Knight, and while the position at the new Bedford College dean is suited to him, he feels adrift without his obsessive quest. Indiana expresses a similar sentiment, indicating that his time as a soldier may have killed his adventuring days. The moment is broken as Mercier knocks gently on the door and explains that while this is all very touching, a man's life may be in danger.
3: In the car on the way to Peter King's residence, Mercier explains that Europe is still a continent ravaged by the effects of war and that he is still searching for an occult power that could help restore his homeland to its former glory. Looking around the idyllic Connecticut setting, he mournfully envies the city, seemingly untouched by the war. Jones says appearances can be deceiving and that while the houses are fine, the people inside are drastically affected. Pulling up at a red brick house, Indiana steps hesitantly to the door. Jones Sr. rolls his eyes and rings the doorbell. Peter King opens the door before seeing Indiana and slamming it shut. Mercia quips about this. Ringing the bell again, King finally lets the three men inside. Through a conversation, we learn that King is an Australian archaeologist and son of a pilot whom Indy worked with on several occasions. King clearly blames Indy for the death of his father while in southern Rhodesia.
1: Mercier gets straight to the point and produces photographs of the journal which detail King's name next to the jade knife. The four men discuss the dagger being a fabled relic from a Mayan city of gold, said to house the Fountain of Youth. Indy dismisses El Dorado and the Fountain as pure mythology and with no scientific merit. He then adds that Juan Ponce de Leon's supposed quest for it was one fiction with no documented evidence outside of folktale. Showing India a series of old maps, King states that it isn't entirely accurate, and the recordings of Ponce de Leon being poisoned by an arrow and dying in Cuba were exaggerated, and he charted a final expedition after learning of the healing river of paradise mentioned in the tales of Alexander the Great. India interjects in saying that Alexander the Great never set foot in the Americas. King counters that several cultures have mentioned founders of youth and vitality, meaning it could be a naturally occurring physical phenomenon worldwide. Again, Indy dismisses this claim, saying if the Mayans had access to such a power, they would never have suffered the cataclysmic event that wiped them out before the conquistadors arrived. Jones Sr. jokes that his son is a seer, not a believer, and you would think of all the things he'd seen, he would have an ounce of belief. Sticking to the mission, Mercier asks if King has been approached by anyone, but The Australian says nothing has been especially out of the ordinary, but will remain vigilant. The three guests excuse themselves and get into the car with both Joneses arguing. Mercier looks back and he and King share a friendly, exasperated look. The audience are treated to a sinister POV from a parked car as
3: King goes back into his house. Driving away, Mercier and the Joneses encounter a large victory parade being held in the city centre. Frustrated, they back the car up and head back the way they came. Noticing something, Jones Senior tells them to stop the car. Indy does so, and they rush back to King's house to see the door ajar and the frame splintered. Indy runs in to find signs of a struggle with a knife dug into a globe. Pulling out the blade, Indy tells Mercier that King left them a message, then reaches for the maps King highlighted earlier. Using a cross-dissolve, we transition to a flying sequence, chartering the trip to Central America by plane, boat and eventually donkey trail up a mountain. Mercier and Indiana arrive in a simple village and barter with the locals to be escorted to a position on the map. That's our Shrek callback, by the way. The the donkey's
1: played by Eddie Murphy. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. As night falls, Jones and Mercier are being escorted upriver when the boats slow. Mercier asks why they've stopped paddling, and Jones quietly translates that they are passing a cursed area, some demon shrine. As the shrine in question is illuminated by the moonlight, Jones stands and expresses disbelief. Run aground on the shore is an impossibly large Spanish galleon. Neither Mercier nor Jones can fathom how it got this far down the river. Noting the name of the ship, the San Cristobal... Mercier proclaims that it clearly belonged to Poinpance de Leon. Stunned, Indy sits back down, pondering that King was right, which may mean the fountain also exists. Feeling this is the next logical step to finding King, the two travellers part ways with their guide and set up camp for the night.
3: A restless Mercier, consumed with the peculiar sight of the ship, cannot sleep, and he creeps away to explore the remains. Indy calls out, his hat still down over his head, asking where Mercier is off to. The Frenchman retorts that he's going to the toilet. Indy dismissively warns against wandering too far, saying the jungle could be full of dangerous wildlife. We follow Mercier as he heads through the dark jungle to the saint crest Climbing aboard, he clams his way through the rotting, overgrown galleon to the Captain's Chambers, where he discovers a glistening, ornately carved compass at the centre of the table. Captivated by the clearly important object, Mercier is distracted when he hears voices approaching and grabs the compass and climbs out the window to hide. für
1: Ilya Keller, a strapping young Nazi officer with an eye patch, enters with a handcuffed king and several soldiers. He tells king to retrieve what he needs, but when king finds the compass is gone, he tells Keller that he can't help them anymore, to which Keller responds by beating king badly. Listening from his hiding spot, Mercier hears Keller saying he is desperate to shoot an Australian, being one of the few nationalities he didn't face during the war. At that moment, a large python descends from above and begins to wrap around Mercier's arm. Yelling in fright, he leaps back inside the room and hurls the na- snake at the Nazis, which wraps itself around the foot soldier's neck. In the chaos, Mercier is grappled, and taking the compass, Keller says that Kern will be happy to be rid of the competition, and while he's many- killed many Frenchmen, what's one more? Before Keller can pull the trigger, a whip cracks out, lashing
3: the gun from his hand. Indy enters, and he and Mercier begin to fight back against the Nazis. The giant Keller is more than a match for the ageing Jones, but the shifting weight of the fight causes the San Cristobal to begin slipping backwards into the river. Keller grabs King and throws him to safety, leaving his men to fight Jones and Mercier as the ship half floats, half sinks into the river. Battling both the rising water, Nazis and a disturbed nest of black caiman, Jones and Mercier eventually end up uh, clutching the remains of the ship's mast as the rest disappears below the waves. Mercier apologises for losing the compass, but Indy says those big Nazi boots goose-stepping through the jungle will be easy enough to track. When asked what happens, Mercier mentions the python, and Jones shudders, staring into the cold black water below. Following morning, the pair
1: make their way through the jungle. Indy stops Mercier, who is about to activate a trap, pointing high up into the foliage, revealing a Nazi has been caught in a snare and impaled in sharpened branches near the tree's top. Avoiding the traps, both men step into a clearing of overgrown ruins with several ziggurats covered in vines and leaves. Fascinated, Mercier investigates the ruins, discovering that under the vines, the structures are coated in solid gold. Jones snaps Mercier's hand away, reminding him that they are here for a reason and not to touch things in someone else's house. An eerie wind whistles through the deserted ancient city and Mercier backs away. The wind is quickly replaced by a concealed shouting in German. Jones and Mercier followed the sound before reaching a central temple. Inside, they see King being held at gunpoint by several Nazis. Indy quietly identifies Kern overseeing From the Shadows. Keller, who has his gun trained on King, cracks the butt of his pistol into King's shoulder, but Ziegler quickly chastises him, saying they need King to be conscious and healthy to show them
3: the way to the fountain. Beaten and tired, King reads from the inscriptions on the altar at the centre of the temple and explains that there is a hidden sacred place deep under the temple, accessed via antechambers and catacombs. He adds that the life of the forest is the life of man, but the impetuous Keller pulls the trigger, saying he hasn't got time for savage nursery rhymes, angering Ziegler. Kuhn gets to his feet and the group scour the room for the entranceway. Ziegler finds a large protruding rock, and pushing it activates a doorway which leads down. The Nazis press on carefully, Ziegler reminding them of the traps in the jungle perimeter. Jones and Mercier follow them down, but Mercier trips in the dark, and the two men are apprehended. Kuhn orders his men not to shoot, recognising the American and addressing him as Captain Jones. Indy sneers and says that by the end of the war he was promoted to colonel. Kuhn sharply salutes and mocks Jones for being an effective Überführer, and therefore the highest-ranking officer. Kuhn says the best leaders lead the way, and producing his gun, instructs Jones to guide them through safely. Ziegler takes immediate offence. Is silenced by Keller. The group are navigated through
1: by Jones who helps them avoid the various traps before eventually reaching a vast cavern. A luminescent glow from the minerals and the rocks bathes the whole cavern in a golden hue. Jones tells Mercier that this is the true city of gold. At the centre of the cavern is a small island surrounded by the outline of a now dried up lake. Keller laughs hysterically stating that every one of these treasured hunts has ended in folly and misfortune. Why should this be any different? Ziegler, in a manic state, runs to the lake remnants and starts digging through the dirt with her hands. Eventually, she finds the roots of the tree, which are glowing with the same luminescence. Laughing, she explains to Kuin that the tree itself must be the fountain, that the roots merely enrich the water before it dried up. She points to the fact that the tree is in full bloom despite a lack of sunlight or water, then goes on to assume that the sap
3: is a concentrated source of life which could be harnessed. Approaching the tree, Ziegler takes out a knife and carves into the bark, holding up a hip flask and drinking down the sap. But nothing happens. Kuhn calms disappointed Ziegler by highlighting that she is already young and beautiful. They need a better test subject. Kuhn reaches out and cups a handful of the sap before drinking it down. Before long, his face begins to de-age and his limp miraculously disappears. Mercier and Jones are shocked by this revelation as the other Nazis frantically drink down the fluid. Mercier approaches the tree, but is struck down by Keller. Shouting out, Kuhn stops Keller from executing Mercier. He then turns to Jones and mocks them both, jibing they will experience a short life compared to the eternal youth he has gained. But Jones and Mercier will live long enough to see the Third Reich conquer the globe. Keller translates into German, and the rest of the Nazis laugh at the American and Frenchman. Ziegler suddenly stops laughing and starts sputtering. As she does, she reaches into her mouth and pulls out a tangled root. Horrified, the other Nazis similarly cough, others noting they cannot walk as their boots are splitting and roots are pushing their way out and into the ground. Holding up his hand, Keller is shocked to see his fingernails turn into petals. Mercier quietly repeats the words King translated, the life of the forest is the life of man, as all the Nazis morph into beautifully blossomed trees.
1: The eerie wind from earlier races through the cave and Jones and Mercier walk through the newly sprouted forest of ex-Nazis. The two men talk about eternal life and greed, somberly discussing the world coming close to destroying itself and the invention of the hydrogen bombs, able to wipe out all trace of life in an instant. Jones talks about the Mayan culture being one of the most advanced and civilized in the world at one point, but all empires fall. Mercier says they could take some of the root back and filter it down for medicinal purposes, but Jones assumes that the conditions of the cave might be- give the tree its power, and despite best intentions, should supposedly good men be allowed to live forever. The camera pulls back through the catacombs and cross-dissolves to reveal the golden city at the height of its existence. Mayan priests bring fresh water to replenish the underground lake, while others draw water and remove it. Pulling further back, a priest holds the jade dagger aloft and makes a speech from the top of the ziggurat to a cheering crowd. Pulling further back still into the jungle, we see the priests taking the pails of water and emptying them into the jungle, sustaining the environment that will in turn sustain them. Credits.
0: Excellent pitches, gentlemen. I appreciate them both. Both much better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, funnily enough. Yeah. Both lacking in Shia LaBeouf, which I
5: think thank was, uh, fuck for that. Neither negative. of us
1: had any crazy animals. Seemed. Uh, you had a you had a python. We had a yeah, python yeah, and we had a donkey, but not in a case of that it becomes their had a, fucking you, friend yeah we, uh,
3: we had uh oh, caymans, caymans.
1: Caymans. Yeah, yeah. no had I meant a talking I meant,
0: cartoon donkey, didn't
1: you yeah yeah but that is that's not a weird thing, oh, sorry, Shrek fans have told us that's not a weird <laughs> thing, and their word is law no, no, I meant in sort of like uh, why did it have to be shreks <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that should have been a team name if yeah. we if we've learned
5: something during this podcast it's have that we Shrek? learned anything? crosses over great with other established <laughs> pop culture <laughs> franchises.
4: I so kind of wanted to get Shia LaBeouf in ours, but as in a small role he'd have been good at, but I I just couldn't do it. But he's
0: not good at anything, so... He's what great. age would good good he at been eating been people been at
4: that point? Yes. Oh yeah, that, yeah no, I made it too early, and yeah. it was just irrelevant in the end anyway. Yeah, yeah. we'd be like four. we yeah, 4 I mean. so, well, still had him in there as Screaming Child, number seven. As Indiana Jones. <laughs>
0: Dr. Henry Jones Senior. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to come back to part time. It's changed the pronunciation every single time. Part-time. I literally can't remember what the original one sounds like.
1: You're a, a teacher? Part time. Part time. Part time. <laughs> Fuck, I don't know either, actually. Port time! Port this. time! Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> said in reverse. <laughs> Port time. In the trap! Play that back, listeners.
4: Thinking about it, you could have done something interesting with uh, Ray Winston's character, but again, it's just got too many negative connotations, isn't it? Of... Make ne- him an old Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Laba- oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Indiana And they share screen time together
0: due to time
5: warps. Indiana Jones for generations of (laughs)
3: LaBeouf. Time Time travel. And
5: Shia
0: doing a Cockney
5: accent. I think having Shia LaBeouf playing young Indy, Harrison Ford playing present day Indy, and then Ray Winston inexplicably playing old man (laughs) Indiana
0: Jones. (laughs) Is Ray Winston younger than Harrison Ford? I Probably. assume so. Yeah, yeah. I got I me. Felix in, some
1: motion in I'm in D
0: Is he doing the Beowulf motion capture? Yes. Oh, yep. <laughs> it yeah.
3: It looks just like Beowulf. <laughs> <laughs> and Angelina Jolie as monster, naked, yeah. oh, mother. Did yeah. she mother, have yeah.
4: built in high heels? Yes. So that is one thing that was always A, yes. that's
1: horrible, and B. And no nipples. What? Grendel's mother had heels. Because she was on fleek.
4: That's just the most bizarre. Who, who floats that as an idea in the Zemeckis. guild? Yeah, that's <laughs> not weird
1: at all, you know. Oh. I can't masturbate to this. Her feet are on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Raise the heels. We'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. It accentuates the buttocks. <laughs>
0: God. I have a feeling you're not wrong, Matt. That's the scary That's, thing. that's the science of heels, yeah. yeah. No, I mean like I know that. <laughs> I meant for Robert Zemeckis being a perfect. <laughs> You're welcome on both counts. Is it? Are we gonna be like calling out Robert Zemeckis right now, and then two weeks time he's gonna be? Oh, another, fuck another Brett Ratner or another? We we
1: call out a load of species and things. Oh God, yeah. Speaking of species, <laughs> yeah.
0: species, you guys have aliens. That's a segue. <laughs> <laughs> That's one like, it's one word for it. A podcast, Matthew. Oh dear. So, I'm going to come back to, as I mentioned, part-time. Part-time. Hi. Hello. So, my first question is, in in kind of contrast to the other team's pitch, yours was quite focused in, like, one, basically, but mainly one location. Was that a conscious decision, or was that kind of just a product of the script you came up with?
4: 1950s paranoia sci-fi, they never go far. Mainly because they ain't got any money. Ah. I want it to be quite sort of tight and a little bit more paranoia inducing as a result, less globe trotting.
5: Yeah, I think given that this was an indie of a, a different era, we felt that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull had an interesting idea there, moving Indiana Jones to a different time period and addressing what that would mean.
0: And we talked about it before that each film covers a different period in pulp and blah, blah, blah and go through and yeah. yeah. It's just, it did it really badly. Yes. And I think the idea of doing something that was
5: more faithful to that, by its very nature, it means that you're not going to do the globe the globe hopping thing because that wouldn't be especially true to the period that you are referencing. So as Stuart said, having it being more based in one location and a bit more of a paranoia thing to it, it, it fits. It's a way of moving it Forward
0: and uh, the the kind of film within a film idea. It's quite sort of, I mean, Argoy, I guess. Yep. As, as we explicitly kind of hint at in Athena. Ah, the Argo the I d- didn't goddess. pick up on that at all. i mean
1: yep, I did. Yep. I liked it.
0: So what yeah, what, was the, the film within a film kind of necessary to move the plot forward or yeah, or would basically it kind of work without provided it? Provided
4: a lot of structure for all sorts of bits and bobs we could fit onto it, which is the most important thing obviously, but also had that kind of I I wanted to get somebody who wasn't in fact two characters in it really who aren't directly involved in all the shenanigans and they've got their own arty thing going on as a sort of uh A counterpoint to all the very down, dirty stuff that old Indy gets up to. And obviously the uh, Russians who are being very naughty in it.
0: There's naughty, naughty Russians. Naughty Russians. Russians.
4: Bad Russians telling lies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Famous for it, they are. Mm.
4: But I did like the idea that they would have actually made the film. If left on, they would have just. I left like that little touch
0: when you said that. Like, like, yeah. yeah, She did it because they would actually fund the film yeah. as a proper cover. As up. opposed
4: to the Argo thing where, oh no, it's never going to be a film. It's yeah. like, no, they will actually make a film as a cover, but it's going to be cheap. And it's probably not going to play outside of a few Ukrainian places where they really <laughs> like that actress, but hey.
0: <laughs> Still counts.
4: But giving them too much free reign is also a bit of a hint that there's something else going on.
0: Well, you begin, funnily enough, with the reveal of short round with the hat, which I really liked. It was like, it was kind of like, and a guy in a fedora and a, and a leather jacket, and then, oh, it's short round, that's cool. And then you end and you kind of cycle back around with that as well. Was that a conscious decision to have him like continue the franchise going forward? Or? Yeah,
4: so at the end here, we have... Um, Shia
0: LaBeouf, get the exactly, get short it should round. should have <laughs> been
4: short round all along. He's already Indy's son in Absolutely. any meaningful way. But yeah, so at the end, you've got Indy... Is um, oh, I'm an old man, I want to go. All right, then, one last thing. So I think the next film, it would be the 60s ethos, so it would be a secret agent-y kind of film. He'd come back with Indy from getting the staff of Rick King's. Indy would move into more of a mentor role, and it would almost be semi-secret agent short round working for the government, which would then lead into the 1970s, all government corruption paranoia
5: thriller. Then the He's 1980s, um, horse pornography. <laughs> That was that was my suggestion. I'm glad I'm glad that we went with it. Yeah, I'm I'm pleased for your input, Alec, as ever. But it is one of those things where if you want to continue something on in the spirit of Indiana Jones, you do have to acknowledge this because firstly, Harrison Ford is not gonna stick around for indie films indefinitely because he's gonna I'll be see able. you in
0: twenty twenty. Right. <laughs> we were hoping that and then they announced indie five. So
5: it is that thing where realistically, as we kind of you can't keep going on forever and it's a shame because the ethos of indiana jones makes for quite a good series it is something that so setting up somebody who and there's something nice about setting up short round as a successor because he's already got that kind of heritage in in those indiana jones in temple of doom so it doesn't feel as kind of shoehorned in as the as the shia labeouf thing did recasting
4: Indiana Jones is something you want to avoid. We've discovered recently that recasting Harrison Ford is not something audiences are too down with.
0: Indeed. I liked how Short Round was just a badass. Like, like, oh no, he's going to get beaten up by the Russians. I wanted to
4: have that, ooh, sudden shooting moment in there somewhere, but just a bit
0: different. (laughs) The equivalent of that, Yeah, yeah, exactly. In that case, I will come over to...
1: Jonesy! 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 Jonesy? Hi, Matt. Jonesy? <laughs> 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 Our Swedish translation. <laughs> That's how it has to
4: be
0: says from now on. That's, it. That's
4: the canon Jonesy.
0: So, it's a weird thing to ask, but it's the first thing that sprung to my mind, that a thing that is clearly influenced by Indiana Jones seems to have influenced your pitch, is that the plots of Uncharted 1, the video game, Drake's Fortune, and Uncharted 2, Among Thieves, are El Dorado and then the second one is the Fountain of Youth, and it turns out to be sap of a
1: tree. Oh, I'm going to raise my eyebrows because I haven't played any Uncharted. Ah, games. No, okay. neither have I. Oh, well, I, there I, you go.
3: I, I believe I have played the first 15 minutes of Uncharted 3, and that's about it. <laughs> well,
0: I talk about one and two, yes. so, it's like so nothing to fuck I me. Mean,
3: yay! i um, yeah. thumbs up because it's cool. But um, the
1: first
0: one is Nazis going to El Dorado. Shit, really? Yes. <laughs> fuck. And they, I'm, in, I'm instead of the this. galleon, they find a Nazi U-boat in an Amazon rainforest, oh, and there's a whole thing there. I recommend Uncharted if you haven't played that. I the will way. Play this And then now the second it's and the like second one the and the second one is Crazy Russians, funnily enough, uh-huh. back to you guys. Um, and they find sap of a tree. It's like glowing blue sap that oh, okay. gives them eternal life. And the final fight is like inside the tree with like a big gl- glowing blue thing. Awesome. It also explodes for some reason because video yeah. games yeah. <laughs> actually, eternal
1: life but explosions. I do. I haven't mean to get around to the Uncharted series. I just haven't um, yet, but. Um... Cool. I highly recommend all I'm, four i'm of them. excited i like all four of them Shit. oh five
0: including the one on vita so yeah that's a weird thing well I mean, they're basically indiana jones the video game right. and they're incredibly heavily influenced by
1: and you say that. they're very very successful right And they've won wars. Yeah, successful. so basically okay so we did a good job him. <laughs> incredibly successful um, no i'd say i think there's a very limited amount like with all mythology there's only so many ways you can interpret certain things i think there's a lot of th- stuff you, you both also touched on like mythical weapons yes you literally mentioned the
0: spear exactly yeah exactly yeah. because
1: i think when you when you come to do a thing you think right, what are we going to go with what's the the the, the MacGuffin-y thing that we're going to so to...
0: many so many mythical MacGuffins. yeah
1: ultimately and even then there's only so many ways that we as a species interpret our own that's why we sort of touch on the whole idea of like the multiple occurring fountains of youth it's like some despite cultures not having any interaction with each other have some sort of Common themes in their in their mythologies. So I think, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I mean, like you know, ships and trees down the Amazon is something that's seen quite often, like a freaky, weird sign. Like I, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. This is very disturbing to me physically. How could this be possible? It's like there's like fifty fucking explanations for it.
3: But Werner Ver- Herzog turned up and did it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it was only a matter of time before I got that ship in that tree. <laughs> that's a better explanation than a wizard did it. Werner Herzog <laughs> did it. Yes. So I think there's you will always have that commonality. But um, I, d- I was oblivious to that, so that makes it's very
0: interesting. I wondered, because I know you both are video game players, yeah. and it was like a. I wonder if you both had played the because I'm a huge Uncharted. Like Uncharted is one of my all time favorite oh, series, and I, it, as I was just like Uncharted one, and then you went on like, <laughs> and they drunk the sap of the tree. Uncharted, Uncharted two, two. <laughs> I'm like that's weird.
1: No, I think I, I, I was a Sony man till PS two, and then I went to Xbox, and I'm very recently just going to the PS four. So I, I, I again have been mean to get round to it. Getting but... yeah, the Nathan Drake collection, yeah, up yeah exactly. In your- Cool. I don't know why I'm like the Sony PR person in this. No, I'll take it. This is good. Because again, it's like, hey, you know this thing that doesn't exist that you like, would like to exist? It does exist.
0: Yeah. Yay. You know you've been asking for good Indiana Jones video games? There's four of them already.
3: Brilliant. I remember when we were first kind of deciding on, on what to do, we were kind of feeling around for the right mythological thing to kind of key into. Yeah, I think like The Fountain of Youth is one of those ones that sort of... It's obviously two out of three of indie films have been sort of Judeo-Christian Artifact mythology, you know, mm. whatever you want to call it, and then and then the sankara stones, is it? Yeah, that's in the second one. Fountain of Youth is one of those things that's it sort of it seems to come from everywhere, so it didn't feel like we were stealing too much from a particular like culture or whatever. Yeah. Less heritage
1: raiding specifically, and more interpreting of multiple yes. things. um I think also we sat down as well and discussed where is India at this point, and we said, well, World War Two, and we thought, right, okay. What the fuck are we going to deal with the idea of someone who has seen World War II? Because obviously this point in terms of his career, Spielberg's done Schindler's List, will eventually go on to do Saving Private Ryan, so World War II very much on his mind, and would we'll do a sombre adult interpretation rather than wacky Nazis, oh, and hidden trapdoors. Like, no, 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 we're on the other side of the war now. We're on the war crime side of the war, not the, come on, boys, join up for the war, that kind of thing. So we were thinking, well... What would we? What what kind of artifacts would tie into that as well? So again, it's the idea of Nazis gathering artifacts as best as possible, trying to resurrect mm. Hitler and power and, and, lead and cl- cling on to what they had
3: left. Yeah, and,
1: and all the Nazis went to South America, apparently. So thought we'll follow them there. <laughs> and speaking of similarities to things, you also have kind of the
0: Tim you mentioned the like Judeo-Christian kind of things. You went off in a different, I guess, re- religious background, a different cultural. A touchstone and different civilizational thing, but you also had Nazis. It's just kind of a recurring theme in in indie, and you also had they use the thing, the MacGuffin that they've been. Eventually, them using the MacGuffin is their downfall. Yes, like
1: classic indie. It's Jones. a classic
0: indie thing, but it's also the kind of like I know that's a problem some people have with those movies, but it's also a staple of these films. Is that indie doesn't really do anything, and they would they would have got the sap yeah. and fucked themselves over anyway. So Indiana Jones could have just I always see Indiana Jones like to yeah. it kind of
1: thing. Yeah, I see Indiana Jones like Mad Max. He's a witness to mm. stuff as we, opposed we to We said that in real one, I think. Yeah, we did talk yeah. about it, yeah. The catalyst I think. So yeah.
3: Yeah, and it's it's about hubris. It's about everyone else is confronted with these miraculous things and tries to find the opportunity to use them. Mm. And India's is basically like if we're not going to leave them where we are where they are let's just put them somewhere safe and appreciate them for what they are rather than trying to exploit them yeah. and you know the the other thing that spielberg was on in the mid 90s was a little bit of an environmental kick mm-hmm. um and we kind of tie into that a little bit with the um you know what we showed that was the traditional use for the fountain of youth yeah. um was to actually just maintain you know the rainforests and stuff and it's that idea that you know yeah it's it's meant to be left there to it's to replenish what's
1: around it, not for us. Yes, exactly. And, and, and I think that is the thing as well. Indy always faces, in inter- uh, in a way, uh, the nature of evil. That's why it always tends to be na- well, not always, but mostly Nazis, because they're the personification of evil in the 20th century, as far as No, that. they deserve the right to have free speech and stuff as oh, well, Matt. Oh, um, no, the 20th century. You know? 21st century. Oh, they're, sorry, they're, sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. They're on well, well, equal footing, and they can have as many partners as they want, apparently. But uh, 20th century, yeah, height of evil. And that later would become other things, and other societies would progress out as well. As but the sobering na- uh, notion of uh, post-World War Two, it's like, what have we done? And then, again, that's why I mentioned like, the the hydrogen bomb and things like that is the idea that the, the sort of sobering idea of what well, we could fix for everything anyways. we could use it for medicinal purposes it's like i've seen science being corrupted i've seen history being corrupted i've seen it all been corrupted to kill each other man almost can't be trusted and it's sort of a very jaded indiana jones and that's why you have the scene with him and his dad in the in the office and it's that both of them are like i don't know what where we are anymore i don't know what kind of world we're in. we used to go traveling around the world and doing crazy things and i was going out and learning greek and going up into random cities and you know liaising with old people that's great and it's like no that's gone now the world is very different now and that's i think that sort of moment that is there a place for us in the future which is why i don't think we would have a sequel to interesting
3: no i think we'd we'd... it's it's more of a closed off ending than part times part Um, time (laughs) (laughs) thank you just to 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 leap back to your you know us doing the traditional you know, in, in 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 speech marks, Indy ending. I think we did think about at one point having the ending have more, uh, Indy have more kind of agency at the end, and having him almost like trick the Nazis into taking it. But we kind of, yeah, we sort of we tried it, and and it didn't feel right. Didn't feel right basically, yeah. yeah
4: I, I think you're absolutely right. Indy it does just have to be this weird, slightly detached observer. He runs in, gets in the thick of everything, affects nothing. Like now, as the aliens come down and kill him. Yeah, exactly. That would happen exactly. whether Indie's there or not. It's, and it, I know people joke oh, about yeah, it. I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to actually writing it, it really is a fundamental thing of it, isn't it? So Very odd. much so.
1: There are certain things that we are discussing earlier. There. there is an Indiana Jones tick box, um, and then you enter the territory of people saying, that's not an Indie film. And it's not always the case, but it's why things like the some of the video games hold up better than, say, like crystal skull and or a lot of the young indiana jones chronicles because you're like eh, you don't really you're not really getting it are you
4: do you think the underlying theme of indiana jones then is that bad people will fuck themselves up
1: yeah Uh, yeah calm as a bitch Uh, especially (laughs) yeah the world will rectify itself and balance will be restored uh, and all you can do is try and be on the right side of history and leave things alone but also be a bit sneaky and have a little peek for yourself (laughs) (laughs) and leather jackets are cool
0: yeah Whatever the equivalent of, like, a guardian angel is for karma. Mm-hmm. He just carries karma around with him every day. He's just like, hey, bad guys. Oh, no, shit. Something's about to go very, very
1: wrong. And the other
0: Jones is here.
1: It also, however, makes him sterile. No kids for you. <laughs> <didn't> he? <laughs> <laughs> Hence adopting Shara. Yeah,
0: exactly. And no Shia LaBeouf. Oh. Thank God. So speaking of Spielberg and Nazis, I think um, Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg have both said... No more Nazis, which is the thing I think we can all agree with. Sure. In general. And you're gonna try and convince Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg to go back to yeah. Nazis again.
1: Uh, all you need to do is uh, again I think I think Throw
0: money at Harrison Ford until he stops grumbling. <laughs> no, we say
1: t- <laughs> <laughs> it's literally how it works. I'm uh, he's sure, absolutely yeah. how
0: Harrison Ford's entire career has worked for the last like twenty
1: years. You just say to Harrison Ford, it'll be the last time you have to do this, and he goes, Oh fine. Oh yeah. yeah I'll do right. it. I'll do it. But no, do ultimately, I, do I get to kill
0: him at the end? No, you oh. get to watch. Uh, that's that's why I I like.
4: killing his character is a more recent thing, isn't it? So say the last ten years.
3: Well, he did because he did want he uh, to kill Han Solo in, in that, Jedi. He tried to yes. kill Solo and Jedi. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I think ultimately, um, yeah, I, I, in terms of the story, I think you could definitely get them back. And I think Spielberg, with his World War II kick, he probably would still. I would in my in my head would go right. Schindler's List. Indy Four that we've done, and Saving Private Ryan as this very strange World War Two war trilogy. Yeah, mm. and then and then literally be like, "I'm done with Nazis now. I've done the whole thing. I've done the light-hearted invert comments. I've done the extremely serious ensemble. So I've done the them as an adversary. I've done everything now." But I think there is something to be said for the catharsis of cinematic vengeance, and that was best. Ex- <laughs> best, best, best That's not, ex- not ex- the title of <laughs> your blog or
0: something <laughs> Change red right hand to catharsis of cinematic ruin, revenge yeah
1: i mean and things like for example Inglorious glorious bastards yeah. um because there's a moment everyone if you haven't seen the film sorry. spoilers for an 11
0: year old film or whatever the fuck yeah. it is
1: now but basically there was a moment when you watch the film for the first time and you see like roth just emptying a machine gun clip into hitler's, that face. Weird go, wait, dummy wait, hitler's face that just goes <laughs> yeah and just melts. wait is that oh so no history what it's like <laughs> no this is just Somebody who's like, I want to take out complete revenge on what happened. I'm, i don't care about history. This is a fantasy now. I'm just going to do this, and it's the same thing of like, sort of comeuppance on, on you know, in cinematic form. So it has to be something to show that, as I say, like the, again the classic uh, Indiana Jones thing. You will be betrayed by the folly of your own ways, and your own evil will undo you, etc. You got too greedy, too arrogant, so so I think I think that yeah, they do it. I mean, again, I can't speak to someone's mind, but money says everything. <laughs> and if you don't believe me. Steven Spielberg's career <laughs> Harrison
0: Ford's, Ford's career <laughs>
1: yeah throw enough money at the pair of them and they'll yeah. do
0: whatever you
3: want and i think there's there's something to be said for you know that obviously they dealt with them twice previously in the Indiana Jones films but they didn't really kind of close out that story um and so getting to see Indy go through war and be affected by that and then come out the other side and and yeah like like we say see some Supernatural Nuremberg trials, basically, go on and be like, "You thought you could get away with it, did you?" We're gonna sprout branches out of you, Um <laughs> you tree fucks. Your yeah, tree, f- <laughs> you Nazi tree fucks. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it's a it's a different type of indie film dealing with a slightly different approach to the Nazis. Yeah, because
1: the Nazis were more henchmen in the first two films. Oh, yeah. sorry, the first two Nazi-based yeah. films because they were only ever following uh, Bellick and Donovan. They were never really the agent of it. Also, like, oh, he needs this for Hitler. You know, that was the only motivation they had and they just did some things. They were a presence and an army to be exploited by a scientist or an archaeologist. This was the first time, for us or at least, that we've used them as an active, um, rather than reactive group who are like, no, 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 no. I am doing this now. I am taking charge. I'm the head of this new thing. And again, it's the nature of a building force of evil to a cornered animal being its most dangerous kind of thing.
0: Tim, you just mentioned kind of how the war has affected Indy and things like that. I thought it was interesting, and I'm I'm still not sure. I'm not sure if I'm missing something from previous films or something like that, but the fact that he's now, like... Actually, in the army, and this gone like full military. imagining him in like full because you mentioned he's in full military yeah. gear when he's with um Marcier. So, is that a thing I'm missing, or is that kind of a, a character choice from your perspective? Was it something you saw in the previous films of like, oh, I can see him
1: think, going it's this been way? He's in involved in the war in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. Um, he, as much as I hate to reference it, King Crystal Skull mentions it. Um, Does it really? Yeah, when he's getting cleaned up there's the whole FBI or agent whatever they're saying like, oh my god, two purple hearts, that kind of thing." And he's like, "Oh, he yeah." Basically single-handedly won the fucking war or some bullshit <laughs> um,
3: by Indiana Jones. I think I, I I very much picture him, I don't know, you know what the official canon is or whatever, but I I kind of picture him in lines with almost like your sort of Um, Your Hemingways and people like that where he's not obviously not the kind of person who does well in a regimented Mm. chain of command Mm. but I can imagine him being so pissed having already dealt with the Nazis prior to the war being so pissed off at it uh, at at what was going on and America's unwillingness to get involved um, you know up to a certain point Mm. that he would just be like well screw this I'm going off to go you know join the yeah, he's signing foreign legion. Yeah, sort of thing, right? I'm, I'm but, joining, yeah. you know, the French Resistance or whatever, and, yeah, and 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 finding his way in that way. Yeah, and, and when he's with the French,
1: and yeah, yeah, and, yeah and when yeah. and obviously he's first starting uh, starting in Turkey and then moving onwards and things like that. It's the whole my friends are in danger, we have to do something. Followed by the American government saying not our problem. Followed by him saying I don't give a shit. You didn't hear me. We're going to war. And then finally, when he does get there, it's like what do we do with this guy? He's a loose cannon. Give him a fucking. Rank and get him out of the way, and the French can fucking deal with him. And he's like liaising with people, that kind of thing. You know, you can you can deal with quite well. And I think you're right because he'd be a Captain America kind of person where he wouldn't. He'd have the strong moral code and wouldn't follow orders. Brilliantly, that shield around. Yeah, that's so why we started the sort of early years of the war from America's point of view and the end of the war rather than through it because, as weird as this is going to sound, it would be boring because. You can't... Unless you're focusing solely on the war and doing a Monuments Men kind of thing, which we didn't, thankfully... Then you end up with this idea of like, no, now we're telling a story that's completely different. It has to become a war film all of a sudden, you know, like, you know, The Longest Day or some shit.
4: I actually doted down Monuments Man at one stage. And then as he went on, I went,
1: meh. <laughs> yeah, it has, it has an element of like, you know, we're trying to preserve these things that are being destroyed or just dubbed. Yeah, it's you know. felt a bit like it early, but later on, it it's moments happened. of it, yeah. It's, it. And again, I think it's the nature of like the pathology thing. When you're doing anything around World War II, there are certain things that are keystones that tend to crop up over and over again. And one of them is, Oh, artwork's being destroyed. Fuck. Things are being censored. Damn you. And again, that ties into the whole nature of like, in a weird transition, death of Stalin. That's like, oh, well, this and, and the sort of Stalinist Russian sort of things. Like, oh, well, well, these are the acceptable musics so and these are the acceptable pieces of artwork we're going to have and so on. Controlling and censoring this stuff. So, yeah, common themes.
0: So it's time for me to render my verdict for the season three finale. So it's a tough one, to be honest. Like I said, I enjoyed both pitches. I really liked the kind of making the B-movie thing work from part-time and making the aliens not a ridiculous crystal MacGuffin... Interdimensional beings. Sorry, sorry. You actually, guys, used aliens. Sorry, the other one used interdimensional beings. Thank fuck you didn't. Never show the
4: aliens because they're always going to look disappointing.
0: Exactly, yeah. I really like that you... And as Alec was reading, we do not see what's inside. I was like, correct answer. Like, well done. Well done. I was worried you were going to kind of have like, oh, and
1: the the little gray alien floats out. And I was like, oh, God, okay." I must admit, I thought it would end up like uh, Close Encounters where you get like some short little aliens and some tall aliens. Like, fuck you, Spielberg. Fuck
0: you. (laughs) 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 Or it's Independence Day, because that would just annoy Stuart so much. (laughs) It's got tentacles and like a weird face. Thing and, yeah, a weird and, face. And a Mac.
2: Jonesy.
1: Jonesy. Hi, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> the character Ray Winston is playing. Oh, of course, yes, yeah. yeah. Fucking hell. You're welcome for that. That's, that's a cut.
4: reference. Well done. Yeah. Well done. This, of course, means that you can't plug an NTF-C, NTFS hard drive straight into Ray Winston's, Ray Winston's ass and <laughs> expect to write data to it.
0: He can read, but he can't write. But he can hack an alien spaceship for some reason. Yeah,
4: because they're HFS plus journaled.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I enjoyed the fact that you made guys basically on Uncharted 1 and Uncharted 2. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely
1: really looking forward to playing Uncharted now. <laughs> yeah,
0: you, you definitely need to play Uncharted as really, well. Yeah. 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 And uh, you guys stuck to the more kind of traditional Indiana Jones kind of thing. Lots of globe trotting. Indy is just a, a bloke who just the, happens to be there as the Nazis fuck themselves. And that kind can... of... <laughs> yeah, it's two very different pitches, but I, I enjoyed them both.
1: I liked them both too. I think they're very, both very good Indiana Jones films. And again, it's like, how did they fuck it up so badly? Right? Because
4: they didn't pay us to write for them. Uh, yeah. There's still
1: time, except we won't do it because fuck. Indiana Jones is fine. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. If if they turn around to
5: me and say, "Would you like a load of money to write the Indiana Jones movie?" I would not be like my principles say no.
1: Yeah, and you'd like, put fucking Hetfield in it, and you'd somehow do a digital version of Lemmy in it. I mean, no.
5: Indiana Jones and the Rock Stars of Old. Oh,
1: <laughs> fuck. oh. it's in the seventies. What oh, have you no. dug up in this tomb? I've dug up some metal. Shredding.
5: Why did it have to
1: be metal? <laughs> White snake. Why did <laughs> it have to? Be- <laughs> oh fuck me! Just beat there me too, it. Yeah. That's the one. Uh,
0: Fucking hell, Matthew. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> wrap this shit up. Some. Let's let's wrap this shit up, shall we? So for the finale of season three, I'm going to have to choose. Part-time! Ah. Congratulations, gentlemen. You win
5: Thank season you. three. We,
1: we have won a season at last. You won the first season. Did
5: did we? Yeah, we won the second season, didn't we? Oh, we, wait, we no, we drew... won. I won the
1: first season and you won the second season. Yeah, yeah sorry, sorry, sorry. My apologies. Sorry, audience, it's just Bye. kind of a thing we do to keep you interested in the podcast we do actually care. cares yes. <laughs> we aren't literally keeping track at all that's why we end up saying we're like I, three I, four I, I literally have to go back and listen to previous episodes like yeah. wait, who did we kind of just thing? have fun writing films yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> enjoying you guys
4: about it. conceit for the format yes, yes. yes. there's yes.
0: a glimpse behind the curtain there listeners anyway, thank that. so thank you very much for listening to season three everybody congratulations stuart and alec Winning the season, five to three.
1: What will you do, listeners?
0: Who what knows? What the fuck will you Who do? Who knows? You could listen to our lovely in-between-season
4: content. <gasps> oh! We spoil you. Yeah, which is basically us making noises with our hands in our armpits <laughs> for nine <laughs> Get hours. Get ready
0: for some farts. That was terrible farts. Yeah, that was really bad. My just, hands are really sweaty. That sweat. was like one hand clapping. My, <laughs> my, my hands are incredibly sweaty. <laughs> we'll have some new episodes coming for you soon. We'll be discussing... Not necessarily bad sequels, some good sequels, some other films, some different kinds of things, touching on different subjects It won't necessarily be competitive like these seasons are.
1: Just some round We're just table Yeah, coming chat. up with
0: some ideas, having some chats about movies and stuff, and then we will get round to season four. And in the meantime, and to keep up with any announcements coming up for in-between season stuff and season four announcements, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Sequelizers. How do you spell that, Jack? It's with all the e's and all the s's. There's no a's. There's no fucking z's or z's, you yanks. <laughs> Blimey! <laughs> well, they keep spelling it wrong, Stuart. The hashtag sequelizers with an a and a z, and it doesn't work. Because that's not but us. Americans
4: don't spell it with an A.
0: Nobody does. Work. Equalizer. The word equalizer has oh, an A I in it. Oh, I see. Yes. getting confused with they other put words. S on on it, yeah.
4: yep. I told you we should have called this podcast The Film Men What Talk About Films
0: That Haven't it Been Made It was already
1: yet. taken, Stuart, how uh, many times? white guys
0: talk about film?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Just what the world needs. <laughs> Fixing all our problems one at a time.
0: So it's S-E-Q-U-E-L-I-S-E-R-S. Nice. yeah. <laughs> everybody <laughs> pause to check Like, wait a second yeah. oh. yep. we can all spell if, you, if you've heard this it's, ri- <laughs> it's written on your device that you're listening yeah. to you're right you're now here Now you, the problem shouldn't
1: be a problem <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a really valid point <laughs> the name of the show is on your phone or
1: mp3 player the way, the player way or whatever. that you found it
5: that's the way. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's the way to find, find it once like again. I always find it's like the anti-piracy things on the DVDs, Blu-rays and films I go to. I'm like, I'm fucking here. I've already paid. I bought a real thing. You wouldn't steal a DVD.
0: I haven't. Why are you telling me about this? Because if I had, this would have been removed. Exactly. <laughs> and that's why I only steal DVDs. Buy them all from teenage Alec. Yeah. I, I used to leave the piracy warnings on mine just to <laughs> fuck with them. Just for fun. Just, just for irony's sake. Yeah. So yeah. At Sequelizers on Twitter, Sequelizers on Instagram as well. Of course, you can keep up with the Spotify soundtracks if you need something to listen to between episodes. So, the winning team's composer, we will compile a lovely little soundtrack for you to listen along. If you really want to listen along to the team reading the pitch as well, you can do that. I
3: think you can probably use the Edel Edel Jones Edel. one from both of
1: them because it's just John Williams.
3: It's John Edel Williams and John Williams,
0: yeah. yeah. You can't go wrong with a bit of John Williams.
3: We've had, we've had two weeks on a trot oh, yeah. of John Williams. Oh, we have, Seems. yes.
0: I mean,. He's he's an all-time great for a reason.
3: Yeah,
0: <laughs> can't get, like I said, he's can't go right. wrong with John Williams. He's all right. He's fine. Yeah, he's fine. <laughs> so yeah, keep up with us all on that. If you want to send us an email, it's sequelizers at gmail dot com as well. We will see you in the near future with in-between season stuff.
3: Thanks for listening. Yeah. Oh.
1: Bye bye boys and girls. What, what, who was that? What? <laughs> <laughs> it's not your usual Kane. It's not. It's <laughs> not a joke. neither is, Michael Kane that? nor
5: Ray Winston. <laughs> Something different. Ooh. Something for the folks at home to decide.
1: Uh, Okay, vote on it now. Send us a message. Who do you think (laughs) that (laughs) was? Name our new (laughs) (laughs) mascot.
3: Not Bill Candy.